Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to the Mindwall podcast, the podcast where we try to bend your mind a little bit with all things interesting and new, moving fast in the world of digitization, and specifically, of course, as it applies to mining. We make a habit of finding interesting guests and finding interesting topics to talk about. So before we jump in, I'd like to remind you that you should contact us and talk to us and tell us about the new things you'd like to hear more about. It always amazes me how willing people are to talk about the things that they are doing. I've spoken with interesting experts from around the world that at the moment that you invite them, they're happy to talk. So, so don't be shy. Tell us if there are people that you'd love for us to interview or to talk to a little bit. Today, we've got a guest on the podcast that I'm going to introduce to you in a moment, Jamie von Skuer, the CEO of Dwyka Mining Services a partner of Minor Peas, uh, but not only of Minor Peas, they are a mining consulting company and technology-focused, or I should say digitally-focused partner or company in the mining world. But I'm not going to let, or give him the short stick, I'm going to let Jamie introduce himself and then, of course, Dwyka as well. Jamie, so welcome to the Mine World podcast. Thanks, MP, and thanks for having us on your show. I think it's sure. uh, the ability to share and to have interesting people talking about the technologies that are around us and that need to be developed and are largely around uh, having these discussions. So yeah, big up to MineRP. We are, like you say, proud partners and yeah, looking forward to uh, having a, an intellectual sparring session. <laughs> there we go. The interesting thing is that you are talking to me from NISA in South Africa, of course. Uh, if, I, if I got that right, you're on holiday, aren't you? I am taking a very short bit of leave after a very long <laughs> period at the at the grindstone. So I hope that everyone listening doesn't think that I'm on holiday on Tuesday. But yeah. um yeah, no, very uh, very lucky after my birthday just to take one or two days. So yeah, very nice day here. And Happy um, birthday. Yeah. It, it must have been just twenty one, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just just, just with, uh, with a few just, anniversaries. <laughs> yeah, my hairline wouldn't suggest so. <laughs> so Jamie, you know, as we jump in What's your deal? Why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit more about who Jamie from Squirt is and where you are from and how you got to know the mining industry and so on. Give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of, of your life. Awesome. I would say that mining is somewhat in my blood. I have a family business that I worked and operated with. Uh, my father started 40 years ago. So it's a business that specializes in, in uh, the design and fabrication of underground ventilation solutions. So we all know South Africa, deep level, hot mines, some of the world's toughest mines to ventilate and keep cool. So yeah, a very innovative business. I was fortunate to work for almost six years in that, have a part of running that. Um, but yeah, so grown up from my inception in an entrepreneurial household that's uh, focused on uh, client success or customer success and with a high degree of innovation. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I grew up and that's kind of how I was onboarded into this uh, mining industry. Uh, but before then, yeah, it was in sponsor price negotiation and a lot of heavy marketing. So I think that right. that hybrid has made it quite interesting place to kind of change the game and how we engage with with our clients from the mining perspective. Pre-COVID, a lot of showcasing, a lot of involvement and immersion-based involvement with our clients. So yeah, I think those two things have made it quite an interesting platform to talk about what we do and what we're passionate about and what our clients are hopefully enjoying from us. Yeah, so that's, mm -hmm. that, maybe that's the, the small intro, yeah. 
Tell us a little bit about your professional background. So working with the non-mines, um, this is not your first rodeo, right? <laughs> uh, rodeo, sorry, it's, it's the bull you're riding, but I, I must say that bull that we've been riding into this last year or so has been quite an interesting one. No, but I think the background from a professional perspective, certainly from a, a business administration side, and then leading quite quickly into solutions development and business development. So probably from my side, a stronger sales and business and innovative an innovation-driven focus. And yeah, I mean, from a, a Dwyker perspective, largely a, a career that's, a working career that's 15 years. We've been working at, with Dwyker almost 10 years next year. So that's been a very big part of my my working career. Pre yeah. that is involved with, like I said, family business and small consulting businesses driving customer success. So yeah, I think that's probably the underpin in um, a lot yeah. of what you see in Dwyker today. You use the word Dwykan for many South Africans, at least. That's a word that's well known and it's, it's associated. You know, we've, we've got these pictures of the region in our minds. Where did you get the name Dwyker from? It's a bit of a funny story. So Dwyker was just a bit of a calling card. We used to joke around our Terramin business when we uh, were, were ghost calling or, or thinking about a, you know, a fake name. And Dwyker Mining Services was the was the, the comical thing. And it kind of stuck when we, we unbundled some of our tournament business. And mm-hmm. uh, before we knew it, a company had registered. And that's where the visualization journey started, where 10 years ago, I started seeing the power of how uh, pictures and visualization and 3D simulation really changed the game for how we made decisions. So it was really interesting to see this meeting of the minds yeah. and minds around uh, a visualization and a, a single point of view where ventilation professional could be talking to a production and drill and blast professional where their objectives are largely different. But as soon as we put a picture in front of them, they were able to align and understand each other's perspective. So visualization really was the trigger for everything we really see in Dwyker today. And yeah, that was where it was born. And it's got nothing to do with the Dwyker River and the Karoo. So it it does have a tongue in cheek. I mean, we started making (laughs) words around it, but on the Dwyker side, those of you that you, like you say, from a mining perspective, will appreciate it. It's a sedimentary deposit in the Klankaroo Basin. And because we have offices in Cape Town and Joburg, we were somewhere in between. So we, okay. we landed that. And the other second story about that is the sedimentary layers was around the layers of data. And really okay. where the opportunity to Dwyker was to dig through the layers of data to find the metrics that matter. Yeah. We focus yeah. on so many in the mine, so much in the mining space. We I think we can often focus on three or four things that really make a big difference. And yeah, that's been kind of our mantra since inception. That's quite good. I actually like that. That's a good uh, analogy there. Of course, as you know, and well, kind of as is expressed in the partnership between IRP and, and Wika at the moment, you know, digging through those layers or getting to the truth in mining is hardly something that any one company does alone. So you don't develop your own technologies as much as you really specialize in making kind of best of breed selections work for mines. Am I right? Yeah, we were having this discussion the other day. I think my role at the moment, because our business is pan-African now, we have mm-hmm. offices in Botswana, Tanzania, and Johannesburg. I'm really having to play this role of a curator. So it's really about finding the technology stack or this mix that really starts making sense for our clients. Right. So I found that that's, been the secret source is about having to be responsive to our user requirements, being close enough to our clients to understand their pain, where they're bleeding, how do we stop it quickly? But then we're not into short fixes. We want to repair and we also want to improve and optimize. So 
yeah, I think those things involve us being very close to clients, very astute, and also being very receptive to having these kinds of conversations and being yeah. uh, very aware of what's available, what's not, and often selling to the limitations because this technology, right. while it's advancing very quickly, there's only so much that we can achieve, as you know, on surface. And then when we get into the underground <laughs> mining space, it's been even more challenging. A uh, very complex place to do any kind of business. So when you speak with mines, what has changed? I mean, certainly the world of digitization claims many silver bullets, which we know don't exist. But there must be themes and topics of problems that you find that mines talk to you about, or at least talk about in general. What are some of the things that you encounter out there, that the, the real problems that the mining companies are trying to solve with this wonderful new tool of digital? Yeah, I think, I mean, from our side, our focus is on supporting all our mining clients' efforts to improve safety, health, and environmental conditions. I think if you solve those three metrics, you start mm -hmm. solving a lot of what we have as problems from the outset. Just as a caveat, we really aren't a fancy business. We're a, a mud and boots, no frills business that really likes to be practical so that's uh -huh. that's really a part of the culture and our value proposition is that we're not scared to get dirty and get underground and to get the job done so i think that's what separated us from some other players in the market so we get the job done but i think there are recurring themes and those themes seem to keep evolving but there are three verticals that we kind of focus on i think that are starting to address those short-term and medium-term digitalization needs the one that we spend a lot of time with is the ability to collect real-time data. So whether that's devices or the infrastructure to get that kind of data to surface is being a big one. So real-time data is a vertical, is a big part of what we do. Mm. The other thing is visualization and reality capture. So coming back to the earlier comment around the pictures and the meeting yeah. of the minds, how do we capture a scenario or environment that we can share across departments so that we can make a really informed decision as quick as possible. And as quick as possible relates to this real-time data vertical. So right. they are linked. And that journey about capturing data and getting it to someone to make a decision quickly is this whole mantra of short interval control, which are linked. And as soon as you mm -hmm. operate in silos, our experience is that it doesn't really deliver value. Mm -hmm. And then the last one where we're kind of heading, and, and um, like you said, a lot of what we're doing is we've been a custodian for successful, highly innovative brands that are focused on underground mining solutions. Because of our involvement with clients and being at the coalface, quite literally, we're starting to develop our own IP. And that's okay. where this intelligent automation vertical is quickly forming. And it's, it's a blended version of how we are able to extract data, how we're able to visualize data, and how we're able to then use that for intelligent control and automation. So things like video okay. analytics, machine learning, we're starting to develop those competencies and partnerships to be able to deliver a digital workforce. Okay. A lot of what we're speaking about in our narrative in this financial year is around the digital workforce and how do we blend the, the human and the machine. And the, the very important thing is the and or the plus. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's this blended solution. As you talk to mining companies, it's interesting how so often still at mines, there are these heroes. And you, you find the person with the right vision that happens to match your vision and things just go like clappers and it works until that person leaves and they go elsewhere and then, you know, everything falls flat. This is not unique to any technology implementation that we've seen. So I think you'd agree with me that if it is only about someone wanting to implement some fancy kind of technology, it is almost bound to fail. <laughs> mm. um, 
why are the companies investing in these real-time data solutions, these visualization solutions, et cetera, that you're talking about? What are the business problems that they are actually trying to, to solve? I think the big thing is that we are being forced to deal with so much to do more with less. I think that's just a, a recurring theme, I think, on the economics of business, not just mining specific. So with that, we're having to look for tools that can help us along the way. Okay. So those tools are seemingly all around us. But I think what, what happens, like you said, is that when we are product champions or we are you know, vertical champions, we, we often get blinded by our own silos. So often where we've right. found we've been successful is that we, re, we take an unbiased high-level view. And because we come in without any bias, we're able to see certain things. And because we understand technologies, we're able to start helping our clients you know, put those puzzle pieces together in a, a way that, that actually works. If you come to a client with a thousand-piece puzzle as opposed mm-hmm. to a three-piece puzzle, you can obviously know which one they're going to choose. And often in mining, we don't have time to build thousand-piece puzzles. So the three-piece puzzle is is really the solution, and um, it's an iterative one. I think often we try and we're trying to build the thousand-piece puzzle too quickly. Meanwhile, with the, uh, the technology gap, like you say, or you know, when people leave, the knowledge gap uh, and that that sharing of it, you know, there's a big amount of learning that we still need to do, and this appetite for digitalization often rests with our ability to, with some humility and vulnerability and saying, we still have to learn and experiment. And that's, I think, where we give our clients some assurance is saying, well, how do we give the softest landing to try and POC and you know, run proof of concept and trials to yeah. take their problems, our technologies, and see you know where that ends up as a recipe. And we also learning, and I think that, that acknowledgement that you know, R&D is important and it should be a big part of your spend as a mining company, or at least a bigger part of your spend, is is a is one of the big steps. And yeah, I think that's where we've provided our clients assurance yeah. and, the, and the comfort to kind of do that and create that platform where that's okay. So let's jump into some examples maybe. You know, you can give a surveyor a fantastic survey tool that'll help him to collect point clouds, you know, use all kinds of fancy new solutions LiDAR-based solutions and and radar-based solutions. These things are all around us. What do you think is the key to make sure that that it's not only about collecting data, excuse the pun, in a void, uh, without really (laughs) (laughs) enabling a survey process that makes the process of reconciliation and knowing where you are and knowing whether you have done the right work work more smoothly. I mean, survey is not just about measuring and knowing that I've actually moved so many cubes. It should be about, am I doing the right stuff in the right place, through the right shape, et cetera, et cetera. And it should be an input into better planning and better execution. Do you think that the world of survey that you're talking about here has made strides? Is there real improvement or is it just a bunch of better tools? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it talks... Your question maybe in a different word is how disruptive are the tools to survey at the moment? I think there is a big there's a big disruption that's happening. Oh, oh sorry, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to interrupt you. It's not only about disruption, but it's about, this is a term that my colleague John McGannon always uses. What is the return on disruption? <laughs> mm, I like that. No, no, yeah. that's, that's, yeah. a, that's a better question. What is the return on disruption? Because it is disruptive. I think a lot of the survey professionals are probably hesitant and uh, nervous around, you know, where does this leave me if... If yeah. the, the the drones and the and the survey tools are are, are this adequate and this uh, capable, you know, where does it leave us? And yeah, you know, it's such a, a difficult question to answer. But I think 
to your point, I think we're having to answer for data collected in the short term to make decisions. And then I think the other part of it is that we need really good tools that are helping us collect data so that we can have this data to make future decisions and a large database to explore the links of that data. I'll give you the example. So the survey technician now is using one of our hovermap LIDARs to do backpack scans or aerial drone scans in an underground environment. Yeah. Perhaps those geometries are very important in the short term because that informs his drill and brass structure, his advance, those kinds of, you know, those basic geometries we now, we used to have a distometer yeah. or a, a ticker tape. Yeah. So having that ability to do that from 100 meters range is already a safer, better tool. So we know that in the, in the short term, that's a fundamental tool and very little impact because if he was taking the, the measurement as a distometer, he'd be doing it anyway himself yeah. uh, or herself. So we've already right. improved the working condition and the, his ability to extract and capture that data. The longer term view is that if we are doing that of the same place, over repeated steps, we are starting to build a, a repository or a database of information that we could use later around movements in that area. And because of the, you know, the high integrity and the granularity of the data, we can start using and extrapolating the data for much bigger, broader decisions that are, again, safety related, but also production related. And it kind of brings us back to this collaboration and why it's important, because the capture side of that is one thing. Getting the SLAM to produce the point clouds is one. But then having this overarching or you know shared software tools or platforms to interrogate yeah. the data is really where we see the future value. Yeah, and that future value is what we're after, but we, we need to start collecting the data today to make better decisions tomorrow. Um, right. And that's the, the secret source, but I think that's also the, the recipe is that we also need to create a platform so that our end users are comfortable about that horizon around technology mm -hmm. adoption that there's inclusive environment, that there's also a shift of how that skill set is going to evolve because it's not just about data capture now because that's quick and easy on, on a machine, but we need them to start looking at the ideas and how does those things link on yeah. surface, out of harm's way, interrogating the data and the point clouds themselves. So it's just a shift. And I, I always like to use this analogy of human and machine are kind of on the polar sides. If it's something is human, it's machine, it's fully autonomous. If it's human, it's fully you know, full ideation and skills and the human endeavor, but it's just this continuum that moves continuously as the technologies change. So mm -hmm. now I, I see that survey is probably going more machine and the interpretation and the, the human side is going to be about the interrogation. So that's yeah. probably a, a, quite a, like a, probably a longer way to answer it, but it, it involves sure. the, the capture and the journey and, and the skills retrofitting and, and an acknowledgement that it's a, a step now for the future. So it, it kind of goes on this continuum from the machine-assisted human on the one hand side, so like a human with a shovel is a machine-assisted human, <laughs> to the to eventually the human-assisted machine, where the machine does most of the hard work, but the human is still the one that, as you say, that figures out the connections and, and determines the value that eventually this new data stream or this more rapid data stream can give to the mind. Is that right? Like you're saying, your return on disruption, and maybe mm -hmm. that's the thing is that we have to make sure that 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 uh, equation is positive. And I think it's interesting around this technology adoption and where we're heading is that it's going to be an exciting one, but it's also a daunting one for others. So we have yeah. to kind of have to temper that. And I think to your point, it's it's augmenting human effort. Mm -hmm. It's not replacing mm -hmm. human effort. And I think as soon as we start having that kind of narrative entering much of the workforce. It's the reality. I always use the analogies that I wouldn't want my daughter getting to the, 
the brow of a large open stope um, uh-huh. to take a survey reading, would you? Yeah. And um, I said, well, let's rather put a drone into it and let her be much better and intuitive around interpreting the data from a safe place. And as right. soon as you make it personal, people start thinking a little bit differently about, about those benefits. So if we talk a little bit about the partnership that has now been recently published between MinRP and, and Dwika, of course, MinRP is all about that digital platform that you were talking about you know, earlier, getting all of the various data sources together to allow everyone to have access to each other's data at the same time and you know, kind of get this bigger picture digital twin of the whole mine from the perspective of all of the various machines and people that are collecting data. As you look at it, how do you see the value between MinerP and Dwyka going forward? I mean, firstly, we, yeah, we're very proud to be partners with you, and I think collaborations are critical. I mean, you can see that online from our, our newly launched website. For those of you who haven't visited, I'd urge you to come check it out. But this ecosystem is growing, and I think the biggest thing about that is it's all about partners. And those partners aren't just you know, the software and the hardware vendors as it used to be. Mm-hmm. We're increasingly finding that our partners are our staff. I mean, those are the people in the room with, with mm-hmm. clients thinking about the new links. They, yeah. the, the, our clients asking us to develop interoperable workflows with technologies like Hovermap and MapTech and Datamine and Deswick, you know, yeah. and MineRP. So it's it's becoming a thing where you know the agnostic view is that the client has to win, and then on you know, even competitors. So we we finding that you know with the client being king, that often uh, we're having to work closely with our competitors. So all of these parts they become competitors for the benefit of the client. <laughs> Yeah, MP, you've got all the acronyms. Eh? I, must say, <laughs> <There we go. laughs> I need to I need to lean in with you some more of these. They're great. But startups, students, tertiary education facilities, all those are the breeding the next wave as well. So we we try to have our fingers on the pulse on this entire partner ecosystem. And yeah, we're very proud to have people like MineRP involved because they're thinking about a solution from a very specific lens. And we find that if we can find the right partners that are focused with a specific lens on it's much easier to then build that recipe for our yeah. clients. And we've done this work together. You know, two of the recent clients that we've done work at being Trivali in southern Namibia and Petra Diamond clients here in Kaping as well as in, in the North Cape as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's uh, it speaks to the success of your guys' platform. And I know that you guys have some very happy clients and they are obviously wanting to start their geospatial endeavors. And they're after the right tools to start populating those databases. And yeah. again, some of those have come from clients, and then some of them I think have just come organically because uh, we're in the right rooms at the right times trying to solve the same problems. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's specifically on the the vertical infrastructure test that we we did from inception with Petro Diamonds, who I have to congratulate as a client who's pioneering and yeah, willing absolutely. to experiment in R and D. That that was early on in that adoption. We were flying drones there first in the country. We solved some problems for them as well, which some challenges that they were wanting to face. So, so that was a great example of a you know collaborative approach that was a win. And then, yeah, yeah I mean, also with uh, the Trivali, which we're very proud of, we managed to pick up, I mean, it was public on the work packages of underground comms, the positive trial there, as well as obviously the drone surveying, which we then started working much more closely with the MinRP team, mm-hmm. the development of Explorer. And again, how do we start getting the data as quickly as possible to you and to your clients with the cloud. And, you know, what does that dynamic bring to cloud-hosted, you know, challenges for mine sites with 
you know, limited and high latency remote connectivity. The problems evolve and then mm-hmm. it's the collaborations that start helping us solve those. So yeah. no, it's, it's been a wild ride the last year. But yeah, we're very proud of those, specifically those two that we worked together on. Jamie, we could probably talk for a long while still, but we shouldn't. We'd rather leave this for a return discussion, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Yeah. So we always end the Mind World podcast by asking our guests what's on their bedside table. Now, what are you reading? Just to get a bit of a, a personal view into who you are and what your interests are. So off you go. What's on your bedside table? Normally two empty teacups from uh, me and my wife. But then the other that I'm really enjoying at the moment is uh, the Intelligent Automation. Welcome to the World of Hyper Automation by Pascal Bonnet. So that's a a really good read. And then from a personal, probably a couple of children's books. I've got Ten Tiny Toes and The Gruffalo and Singing Mermaid normally right next to my bed. So between uh, digitalization and uh, late night storytelling, I think... um, yeah, I've got my hands full <laughs> in the hours of six and nine. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Jamie, thanks a lot for being a guest on the Mind More podcast. And we look forward to maybe next round we can focus on the client specifically. Why don't we invite the client to talk to us uh, together? I'd love that. And we look forward to that. And thanks for the opportunity to share our small view. And uh, we're always willing to, to have a chat. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye now.